Alrighty, kids, it's time for our kids' corner up here. <clears throat> yeah, I suppose this could be for kids of all ages. So. All right, so I've got a rather technical question for you again. So, guys, what comes to mind when you hear the word sin? What is that? What is that? You're you're doing wrong, right? Or you're doing right wrong. No, (laughs) you're doing wrong correct, right? So I got a question for you. Did did you ever do anything wrong? Okay. All right. Everybody but Janet did something wrong. Is that right? Okay. You're going to reach your hand there. All right. All right. Just check in here because I wasn't quite sure because I know I did too and I wasn't sure if there was somebody that was... Anyway, here's the thing. If you do wrong, if you really do wrong, how does it work? Like you go and you say to somebody, well, sorry. Is that going to work? What do you think? Yeah, but okay, so you say you're sorry, but then what if you do it again? (laughs) Doesn't that sort of make you feel like that guy isn't very sorry when that happens, right? Okay, so what I'm talking about here is actually repentance. Repentance is actually when you really are sorry and you really do change what you're doing, right? That's an important part of this, right? Now... The Bible uses sin in so many ways, sometimes it gets confusing. And that's what I want to talk to the bigger people about today. Actually, there's this other word, holy. Do you have any idea what that one means? Okay, who thinks it means full of holes? No, 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 not that? Okay, just check it. Okay, something that's holy is separate for worship. Okay, now what does that mean? It means that it's so different from everything else that we would actually worship it. And it's actually a boundary word, kind of like this. So here's my example for you, and this is where I need your help, girls, because you right remember my prop here this morning, right? So at home, does your mom have like a kitchen table, right? And the kitchen table has a boundary around it, right? You don't come to the kitchen table and put stuff on the kitchen table that doesn't belong on the kitchen table, right? So like, for example, if I come in from my long day at work in the field and I set my, your turn? Ew, right? Here, why don't you hug it? It's really soft, it's nice, okay. If I come home from a long day out working in the field and I set my boot on Miss Lisa's table, what do you think is going to happen here? I'm going to violate that boundary pretty substantially, right? (laughs) Would you like the boot? (laughs) So anyway, this is what I want to chat with the bigger people about today, this concept of sin and what it does and why it's so wrong. How about that? All right, let's have that. We'll go talk to the big people. You guys can go ahead back and... Oh, Jonathan, you've done so well this morning. (laughs) Was it something I said? (laughs) 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So, of course, when we talk about sin, most of us think of the seven deadly sins or gross violations of one of God's commandments. And certainly disobeying God is sin because it breaks relationship with God and it goes beyond that holy boundary like my stinky boot. But imagine you know exactly what your spouse wants. Men, imagine you know exactly what your wife wants and you decide to do something contrary anyway. How is it going to go with you? Right? Are you not tacitly saying, I care more about what I want than what you need? Or even worse, I care more about what I want to do than you? Ooh, I don't think that would go over very well. And by the way, just a word on this, repentance is not the same as regret. I can regret my decision and still remain committed to that course of action. But repentance is actually turning my will around. No longer desiring not to desire what I desired before, to put it in a lot of words there. Uh, But this allows true forgiveness, as even the kids were quick to point out, right? For many Christians, though, we still have a lot of questions on this. For example, we read in our Bible kind of the obscure codes of Leviticus And it leaves us wondering, if I blend wool and linen, how should I die? Uh, Do I still need to? You know, uh, and many of these things just come down to acting justly. And I think we'd all agree, mixing inferior material in and selling something as the real McCoy would be wrong. As long as you're aware of it, feel free to continue enjoying your cotton polyester blend, though right? Okay. Another area of concern for many Christians, and during our baptism this morning, we learned that unless we be like a little child, the kingdom of heaven is out of reach. In Romans 7, the apostle Paul refers to himself as a despicable man. If if Paul himself is despicable, how can anyone among us have any hope? But you see, with spiritual maturity, we begin to realize how desperately short of the mark we have fallen. And this is the realization that brings with it a level of humility akin to that of a child. This humility is a sign that we're on the right track. And by the way, it ought to help us to be able to reach out to others even when we know that they're doing things that are wrong. Of course, the opposite perspective also takes hold sometimes, and it might go something like this. Aren't all my sins forgiven anyway? And yes, absolutely they are. But revisiting my spouse example here, doesn't love and forgiveness cause us to desire to please God? And of course, lastly, there's this notion of unforgivable sin. Actually, when I grew up, in my house there were unforgivable things. We did not come from a particularly Christian background. And I want to make sure I'm clear about this. 
no one in here is guilty of this unforgivable sin. Jesus says that the unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Of all other sins, man can be forgiven. But what is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit thing? Well, basically, this comes from Matthew 12, and in its context, it's attributing the miracles and the work of Jesus Christ to Satan or some other magic trick to see the raising of Lazarus and say, yeah, it was a good magic trick, but it was all it was. It's failure to recognize God at work when it's clearly God at work. So now, I know I've told this story before, but it's kind of helpful in this case. A number of years ago, we had a student living with us um, who came from a Buddhist background and found himself enrolled in a course at Burke's Catholic called Advanced Tenets of Catholic Morality. And he was relatively worried about this. Well, he was very worried about it. And he asked if I could help him with his coursework. And I asked, well, sure, what are you studying? And he said, well, sin. And I thought, well, well, I'm an expert on that. I should be able to help you with that for sure, right? Well, given the confidence that I had spoke, he, he and I didn't really talk much about the course until the night before the test, right? And it turned out that this was a lot more involved than I had imagined. There were mortal sins and venial sins and lessers of two evils and things like that, which we don't really tend to dwell on here in our church so much. And I wasn't really prepared for that. But I want to talk to that for a second because I think that it's good that we don't dwell on this here because it tends to make us think that our sin is relatively not so bad, right? In other words, I can go through life and say, well, I haven't murdered anybody, although I've missed the mark in a thousand other ways, I'm still a good guy, right? And this is contrary to the attitude that we're supposed to have, that humility being humble like a little child. I need to see that I have missed the mark just as much, and the penalty is hell just the same. And I need to realize how bad that is in order to truly grasp the gift of salvation. Now, a number of years ago, I was teaching Sunday school. I actually had a group of elderly men. My class was the 80-year-old widowered old men. And uh, I was headed into Sunday school one morning, and I got stopped by a traffic cop on the way to church. I had apparently going 50 in the 35 zone in my eagerness to get to church. And well, she kept me there for quite some time and uh, I wasn't too happy about it. Went and found my Sunday school class 15 minutes late for church. They were all on the playground sitting on the swings asking whether they had to go back inside. You know? <laughs> um, and I had shared that, you know, on the way to church I had gotten this ticket, and that's why I was late. And one of the men in the class asked me an interesting question, and it was this. Did you take the opportunity to pray with the traffic cop? And I said, well, no, of course not, you know. 
In fact, I think I said something rather snarky to the cop, like, why aren't you in church or something like that? You know? <laughs> but did I sin? And that's what I want to consider. See, otherwise, the Bible describes sin in many negative ways. Sin, kata in Hebrew, literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term like missing the bullseye. It's also used in other contexts as failure to fulfill a goal or to meet an obligation. Sin is described as profaning the holy boundary. And as God's law is holy, any disobedience to that law would profane that boundary. In the Cain and Abel story, as we had heard earlier, sin is described as crouching at the door and waiting to devour. In the New Testament, Sin is described as an active force uh, that, that leads us astray. It leads us into slavery to itself. Sin is described as mold or rot in other places. It spreads through and through like rot spreads through rotting food. Hence the connection to death. But so if at the core sin is missing the mark, what is the mark that we are aiming for? What is it that we keep missing? And that mark is Romans 3.23. That spells it out. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The mark that we miss is the glory of God. And glory of God in this context. So glory is kind of a hard concept for us to interpret because it doesn't quite come down through like this. But in this context... The glory of God is exposing the invisible qualities of God. That's the glory of God. Each of us is created in the image of God and rightly ought to reflect that image. That is, we are to reflect the character of God to the world, glorifying God in the world. That is our scripture say, what our scripture says. Uh, and anyway, whatever you do, do it always and do it all to the glory of God. In other words, in all you do, reflect the character of God. Anything less misses this mark. So it would be a sin because it, doing less would be a sin. Missing the mark is a sin because it depicts an inaccurate view of God. We don't need to directly violate any commandment not to reflect the glory of God. We can do that simply by not caring. To be clear, violating a commandment, though, would do it, right? So God expresses his character through his moral law. For example, God is faithful God. Therefore, adultery is wrong. God is a loving God. Therefore, murder is wrong. God, God is a just God. Therefore, theft is wrong, and so forth. God's attributes are the explanation of his moral character. God is holy. He's righteous, merciful, kind, just. He's defined as 21 different characteristics like this throughout the Old Testament. And anything is good as long as it com conforms to the character of God. As long as it's holy, it's righteous, it's merciful, it's kind, 
It's, it's good, it's just, it's loving, it's faithful. And anything less is sin. God's law, then, is this application of his moral character. And God's ceremonial rules to the Jewish, the rituals of Judaism, are illustrations of his moral character. The sacrifice, the Sabbath, the Passover, and on and on are demonstrations of how sin separates and the extent to which God will go to destroy sin. Therefore, it's not so much that an act is wrong because God condemns it. Rather, God condemns it because it's wrong. It's wrong because it doesn't reflect his character, his image, the image that we're created to glorify. And God's code, then, isn't so much a checklist of things we can't do. How could you even list out all the things that you can't do, right? but rather it's the things that we shouldn't want to do anyway because they cause us to miss something better, a closer walk with God and with fellow man. You see, Adam's inner nature was transformed by sin, and that transformed nature has been handed down to us kind of like spiritual DNA. And the human now bears the image of, and possesses this mark and passes on this mark or stain of sin. And this is what we reflect in the world without the Holy Spirit in our hearts. A clear progression is shown in the breaking of Adam and Eve's relationship with God. They became convinced that there was a better way than God's. And so they did the deed. I think we've all been there if we were telling the truth. But then they became self-conscious and they hid from God. You see, sin separates. It separates from God. It even separates the person from himself. They were ashamed of who they were. And then they tried to justify what they did and defend what they did. God, this, well, this woman that you sent me, you know, how well does that really work? In order to build a relationship with God, these steps need to be reversed. We need to drop every excuse and every justification for our sin. This is called repentance, guys. We must drop our pride and stop hiding from God, thinking he's unaware of what's going on. We need him in our lives. We must become convinced that God's way is better than our own. This is confession. It is to agree with God that what we've done is wrong. Now, we might think our personal or private sin, that's just between me and God. That doesn't affect anyone else. But everything between me and God is between me and everyone else. Can you honestly believe that no one would be affected with it or by it if your sins became known as they're prone to do? Sin produces guilt, and guilt produces secrecy. Secrecy controls like witchcraft. Can you spread the blessing, that is, lack of fear, when you yourself live in fear and are controlled by it? That is the curse of witchcraft. 
And even if you're never caught, the secrecy and avoidance change the dynamics of the relationship. Parents, have you ever known that you've got a sneaky kid? Doesn't that change the dynamic? You know, and worse, when people that we believe to be beyond that, like people in the clergy, for example, get caught in sin, then this causes an epidemic of mistrust. How then are we to deal with sin? Well, we are to confess, that is, agree with God and make it open so that it cannot control. We are to repent, that is, change our will to sin and instead will our will to do God's will. When dealing with others, we need to check our motives. Now, kids, answer me a quick question here. Are tattletales nice? Now, does anybody really like a tattletale? Not really. But okay, now let me think on this a second because I want to piece this out with you a little bit and then I'm going to land this plane. You see, it depends kind of on the motive, right? If you have a friend that's doing something dangerous, it might be better that you tell his parents, right? So there are times when it is important to do, but it depends on your motivation. If you just want to see the, the teacher bust somebody, you know, that's not very nice, right? Okay, when we deal with others as adults that are in sin, are we just trying to tattle? Or are we keeping quiet in hopes that God will deal with them? You know, and I must admit that there are areas here that aren't easy to discern a good way forward in love. So I need to trust and believe in God and in his intervention with my fellow man. But in order for this to happen, my job is to help them truly know God, which they won't do unless I can spread God's love. The best I can do is show them how much God loves them. I can encourage them to find a way forward and realize that they're much stronger than, that they, than they believe and wait while God prompts them to escape from whatever slavery binds them. In any event, thinking in terms of sin, and thinking of sin rather, in terms of failure to fully reflect God's glory causes me, and I assume most of the rest of us, to realize just how deeply ingrained in sin we really are. And it doesn't matter by what margin I miss the bullseye on the target, if I miss it by an inch or if I miss it by a mile, I've missed that mark. Oh, Lord, how sinful am I? Oh, Lord, how much I need your grace. Oh, Lord, the grace you have given, it's so unimaginable and amazing, I could never have dreamed to ask for it or expect it. So, Lord, help me reflect this grace and this love. Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. 